0: Welcome to the Equipress Church Budapest podcast. We hope today's message will encourage and inspire you. For more information, check Well, Friends, we're going through a series uh, in our church that's called... This is getting real. This is getting real. You know, those t-shirts that uh, we give, this uh, we, we, we give those t-shirts as a wedding present. Game over. (laughs) How many many of you know what I'm talking about? Game over. It's getting real now. It's going to be 25 years for Marta and myself this May, and we're going to be celebrating next month, 25 years she put up with me, hallelujah. (laughs) She's the local hero. Uh, but you know, uh, there is that there is that um, idea that you know sometimes in a relationship, um, romance is enough for the first few weeks, months. But then it's getting real, and it's real love after that. And it's the same in our relationship with Jesus. I love the first love effect. And we always need to keep that passion and the fire of our first love in our life to Jesus. But it's being tested. Uh, we actually are going to be tested and our following Jesus is going to be tested as well. And so I love the title that we put to this uh, series. It's getting real. Uh, we're talking about discipleship today. And uh, I actually entitled the 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 message tonight. Um, I'm, I'm not going to tell you the title yet. <laughs> I'm going to read a few passages, uh, and I'm going to I'm going to try to see if you can guess the title of my message. Um, John 13 verses 22 and 20 through 24. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them uh, he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to, to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Another passage is in John 19, 26-27. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he said, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Another passage from John 20, verses 1 through 3. Early on, the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone so that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Another one in John 21 verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. Don't ask me why. And jumped into the water. (laughs) And the last passage is from John 21 verses 20 through uh, 22. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. The title of my message is, The Disciple Whom... Jesus loved let's say that again you are incredibly intelligent guys the disciple whom Jesus loved of course we're talking about John the author of this gospel he's also the author of three other epistles in the bible and he is also the author of the last book in the bible which we call the revelation He is using a nickname, a pseudonym, pseudonym. He's writing incognito. He doesn't really write his real name. He doesn't sign the books under his own name. He's using uh, some kind of a nick by which he conceals his true identity. And of course his signature reveals so much about him. Yeah. You know I was wondering if I would if I would need to choose a signature if I would need to choose a secret name that nobody knows. What would that name be? The cool guy. Yes. The great husband. Come on. Yeah, now, I, I love the fact that John chose to be called, to be recognized as the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is how he wanted to be known. This was his nickname. That was his signature. He didn't care about being an important apostle. He didn't care about being one of the top three apostles, Peter, James, and John. He didn't really care about being, you know, Jesus' favorite. He he didn't uh, sign as the talented speaker or the anointed evangelist or the one who had the biggest revelation in the Bible or the author of five books, John. The author of five books. He actually signed himself as the guy, the disciple, the follower whom Jesus really loved. Now, let me introduce him just a bit. Who was this John? You know, for a long time, my idea of this guy, John, was that he is an old man in the Bible. And of course, eventually he became an old man. But that was sort of the picture I had of him. He was the old guy, long white hair, uh, living on a deserted island called Patmos, a forgotten island, in a cave as a hermit. That was my idea of this John. But actually, when you kind of get into uh, the study of biblical theology and a bit of church history, you quickly find out that John was simply just a teenager when Jesus called him to be his disciple. Just like, you know, one of you guys, great looking teenage guys in the house. He's trying to like point to someone here. He was an adolescent, probably the youngest of the twelve. A young man, a teenager, a guy like many of us, he was full of hormones, (laughs) testosterone, hallelujah. His chest was just getting hairy and he was just starting to notice the Galilean girls, come on, man. And he was probably looking for friends, looking for ideals and role models. He's probably uh, asking many important questions such as, you know, what is my life going to be? What is my career going to be? Who am I going to follow? What is my life going to look like when I grow up? I had all those questions myself. Asking the very same questions that I'm sure John was asking in this time of his life. His father was an entrepreneur. He had uh, a family business, Zabadi. He had a family business. What they would do is they would catch fish in the night and they would sell them in the market during the day. It was very simple. Catch fish, sell fish. (laughs) Sell fish. It was very selfish to sell fish. And Zebedee, their father, was expecting his sons to follow him and join him on his life mission to catch fish, sell fish, eat fish. (laughs) It was a promising career. It was a really promising career. John was also surprisingly, most likely, Jesus's cousin. His mother, Salome. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, were were most likely sisters. John's mom and Jesus' mom most likely were sisters. In other words, John is familiar with the things of God from his early childhood. He knows Jesus personally. How many of you know Jesus personally? Come on! He knows Jesus personally. He is familiar with the things of God from very early on in his life. Not just that, he also becomes a follower, a disciple of John the Baptizer. Another cousin of Jesus. Another relative of his. So John knows, this guy, teenager John, he knows Jesus. His cousin, he knows the other John, John the Baptizer, another relative of his from early on in his life. You know, it seems like uh, it's very similar to our family reunion. Uh, when we come together as our family, it's like a pastor's conference. Because my dad was pastor for most of his life. Martha's father was a pastor for most of his life. My grandfather was a pastor for most of his life. My uncle was a pastor for most of his life. My brother-in-law is a pastor. Um, my cousin is a missionary. Um, I have to second guess what my sons will be. And it, uh, it's destiny. And so when we come together as a family, it's like a pastor's conference. This was like John's house where he grew up in, the family where he grew up in. But, you know, you can be so close and yet so distant. You can take things for granted. And the presence of God can grow uh, familiar. You can actually grow familiar to the presence of God. You can actually be so close to Jesus and yet... Not sense His presence, not appreciate His presence, not honor His presence in the house. You can be a part of this group tonight and just let the Holy Spirit like sweep over you without ever noticing Him. John, back to John, he was also quite a stormy guy. On one occasion, Jesus called him and his brother, sons of thunder. He must have been quite explosive. His character was not that mature yet. He would be exploding over things. Uh, Just uh, three instances I'm going to mention. The first one is in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. He's like, uh, uh, when you come to your kingdom, Jesus, can I be at your right hand and my brother at at your left hand? How nice. Another occasion, Luke nine verse forty nine, he wanted to stop those who were not casting out demons with them. In other words, these guys—they're not with us. Uh, sh- should I go and stop them? He was really initiative. And then in Luke nine verse fifty four, uh, to, uh, 54, he wanted to call fire to come on the Samaritans. Let's do the. Let's do this Sodom and Gomorrah experience once again. This is John I'm talking about. But something happened in his life. That made him a disciple whom Jesus loved. And I'm just quickly going to mention three things. The first one is his identity became defined by the love of Jesus. His very identity, his heart, who he was, became defined by the love of Jesus. That is the reason number one, he was signing his documents as, help me out, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's because his identity, his heart, who he was, became defined by the love of Jesus. You know, in spite of being a very young guy, In spite of the familiar atmosphere and environment, in spite of his stormy temperament and his immature character, he planted his identity with Jesus. He planted his identity with Jesus. Now, I wonder where you stand with this. I wonder if your identity is planted, is rooted in Jesus alone. If you would define who you are to others or even better, if you look into the mirror tonight, is your identity connected with Jesus? Who you are, the thoughts you have about yourself, the dreams, the plans, the ideas you have about your future. The secret stuff going in your mind, is that connected to Jesus? Is that defined by Jesus? The disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, I, I I even I would go so far to think that when John was actually requesting to sit at Jesus' right hand, <clears throat> I would go so far to say that the main reason he wanted that, the main reason he wanted to be was simply to just be close to Jesus. We find him in John chapter 13. Reclining next to Jesus. You know, at the Last Supper, he was was as close as you get. And you know, it's not a weird thing. It was not in that culture. They would uh, recline by the table. Uh, I love that idea, by the way. Yeah, like kind of, you know, lying on a sofa and drinking and eating and enjoying the party. That's what they would... uh, eat like and celebrate like and John is right next to Jesus close the guy next to him in John chapter 21 we actually we actually uh, see that he was actually leaning against Jesus I mean the I, I think the only way why it's mentioned there was the fact that he wanted to be as close to Jesus as possible friends that's me That's you. That's us. We want to be as close to Jesus as we get, as it's possible. His identity was planted, was defined by the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus defined who he was, his identity. There must have been a moment of revelation on his journey with Jesus. A moment where he would be like, "There is nothing I want more than a personal relationship with the Son of God, with Jesus." He's not just somebody I know from my history, from my childhood. He's a Son of God. He represents the Father's heart, and I want that in my life. You know, there was a moment in my own journey at the age of twenty-five when. Uh, I was f- full of hurts and some disappointments, and my heart was broken. And uh, we just got married uh, the, that year or the year before, actually. And, and something started to flow out of my own heart, the, the wounds from the past. And uh, I came to this one event, this one encounter where God totally exposed the pain that was inside of me. And you know, it was nothing, it was nothing crazy. I grew up in a loving home and I uh, grew up with loving parents in my life. But all of the sudden, the things that were deep inside scars and wounds uh, just started to show. And on that particular week, I saw all of that. And, and uh, it was actually a seminar on the Father, heart of God. And I happened to be translating for the speaker. And halfway into that week, halfway into the translation of this seminar, I could not take it anymore. And I was just crying on the stage, trying to translate for the speaker about the Father's heart and about, you know, inner healing and God healing your wounds. And I am there, a guy sobbing, translating and then sobbing. But, you know, that week God healed me. I had a revelation of the love of God, of the love of Jesus like never before. And I can honestly say that my life actually changed that week. I started to see that my identity is not tied to my performance. Now, for men, this is a big thing, girls. We are performers. We we were made for performance. We want to accomplish something. And all the men said... I'm telling you. We want to leave something behind. We want to do something. When Adam was created, he was put into the garden to name the animals. The first job on the planet. And to take care of the garden. All of us, men, we have a project. We are project driven. But when you discover that, actually you're... Life with Jesus is not about performance, it's not about projects, it's not about a to-do list. But it's actually about being transformed by the love of Jesus, being defined by the love of Jesus. Your identity planted in who He is, that, that's a game changer. That changes everything and it changed everything in my own life. And I have a feeling that God wants to do that with some of you guys tonight and girls. So number one, his identity was defined by the love of Jesus. Here is number two, his discipleship was motivated by the love of Jesus. The first thing was his what? Come on, help me out. The first thing was his identity, his identity. The second thing is his discipleship was uh, motivated by the love of Jesus. Uh, We've been teaching on discipleship for the last few weeks. Discipleship is is simply a lifelong following of your master, of your hero. In our case, the Son of God, Jesus. And so, simply put, John was following Jesus out of love. It wasn't a thing of a prestige. You know, many young men would be looking for their rabbis, their role models, and they would want to follow them out of all kinds of ambition. But for John, we find he simply wanted to follow Jesus because of love. He was motivated by the love of Jesus. He was attracted to God through the love of Jesus. In other words, his Christianity, his discipleship was real. It was not fake it was not a game. It was an authentic relationship. It was, it was so evident he did it out of love. He was simply a follower. He watched where Jesus went and he followed. If Jesus is going to those places, I'm going to those places. He simply followed Jesus. Now, th- this is the easiest definition of Christianity, seeing where Jesus is going and following in his footsteps. And that's what John did. We find him into the courtyard when Jesus was flogged. And then he was brought to the courtyard to Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests. John is like, if Jesus is going there, I'm going there. I'm following Jesus. Then we find him at the cross, at the foot of the cross. Why? Because Jesus is there, so John would be there. And that's why the conversation from the cross to John is happening. So Jesus is telling John to take care of his mother and speaking to his mother to take care of his uh, of, of John. He's following Jesus to the empty tomb. He's like, if Jesus is there, I'm going to go there. And then he's on the boat and and... And, and then Jesus is recognized by John. Friends, if we are not careful, our Christianity will become a religion. If we are not careful, it's going to become a ritual, some kind of a mental exercise, a moral duty. And, you, and then you end up coming to church Sunday by Sunday, just doing the mental exercise. Uh, fulfilling the duties, enjoying the time in the meantime. But it's a religion. I love what we were actually singing tonight: "Shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion." That's a dangerous thing when God does that. When you, all of the fun and all of the sudden you find out that your religion doesn't matter to Jesus. Your tradition doesn't matter to Jesus because he's looking for your relationship. He's looking for the real thing inside. Kind of like trying to screen your heart if you're following him out of love. You're not going through the motions. So the first thing, his identity was defined by the love of Jesus. The second thing, his discipleship was defined was... um, Motivated by the love of Jesus. And then finally, his ministry was marked by the love of Jesus. His identity, his discipleship, his ministry. His ministry was defined, it was marked by the love of Jesus. You know, uh, John is writing this gospel at the age of roughly 85 at that time, he, was, he, he would have been in what we call the ministry for probably 60 or 70 years. And when I was preparing for tonight, I, I was praying for myself. And I, I said, Jesus, if, if I'm going to be in the ministry for 60 or 70 years, I want to be simply known as the disciple who was loved by Jesus. A guy who was simply loved by Jesus, who had a love thing happening with God. After 60 or 70 years of ministry, successful ministry, superb ministry, he was simply the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how we signed his letters. And, you know, he pastored the famous church, the one in Ephesus. Ephesus was at that time one of the biggest metropolis, one of the biggest global centers, one of the most famous urban capitals. And John is there as a church that was planted by Paul, pastored by Timothy, and pastored also by John. I would want to be a part of that church. Just be like on the welcome team wearing the red (laughs) t-shirts. Hey, Pastor John. He pastored probably one of the biggest and greatest churches of his times. During a time of persecution. The church that basically Jesus talked about in the letters in the revelation that guys, you are done a good job. I mean, you have a bit of a problem with the first love. But you are doing a good job in your ministry, right? John is pastoring a significant ministry. But he is simply the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, I want to say as a pastor of this church, that when it all ends, when this mic is turned off, when the lights are out in this place, and I'm just walking back home, I'm simply just a disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loves. And we're, we are building that culture here. It's getting real, guys. It's not about the show, it's not about the performance. And yes, I want to, I want to see some you know good stuff, quality stuff and great music and the best coffee in town. And whatever else, you know, your smile and all of that. But hey, when the rubber hits the road, it's simply about your love relationship with Jesus. That is the nature of true discipleship, guys. Your identity, your following, your ministry flowing out of your love connection to Jesus. To me, this is discipleship redefined. This is simply coming to Jesus as as you, who you are. This is simply coming, coming to Jesus and following Him, knowing who you are in His eyes. Coming close, reclining next to Him, developing an honest connection, relationship with Him. I wonder if there may be some people in the house tonight that you really need that at this point of your life. All of us, we need it. But there may be some people here that are going through situations in your life right now. When you're like, yes, Lord, I don't want to play any games. I don't, I don't want to do the religion thing. I actually want you in my life. I want to be a follower. The real thing. The real thing, not a game, not a religious exercise. I want the real thing. You know, we're talking to so many young people as we are, uh, you know, uh, reaching out. And we are connecting with people on the streets and in the squares and in the parks of the city. And we are having so many conversations with people. And basically, their idea about the church and the Christian stuff is... You know, the high steeple and the temple and uh, going through the motions and the do's and the don'ts. And, you know, as a church, we have misrepresented who God is. We have misrepresented what discipleship actually means. And I think this is incredibly important for us that we actually start start representing the heart of God to the people around us and let me tell you this is contagious yeah. it was contagious for me at the age of 25 25 when uh, I was at the at the at the event that changed my life changed the way I looked at God forever and i i believe that we need to be a church that is representing God's heart and who Jesus is to the lost world today let's just pray for a moment like wherever you are just Open up to him. Just talk to him. If you need to jump out of the boat, (laughs) if you need to recline to his chest, like come close to him, whatever that means for you tonight, just open up, talk to him, come back to him, break the distance, come all the way. Look into his eyes tonight. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I think it would be totally okay if all over the room, just for a few seconds, we kind of like all pray at the same time. He doesn't have a problem with that. Come on, church. Just wherever you are, just start talking to him. Start talking to him. Yes, Lord. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know your love. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to experience your love, your healing in my life. Being transformed by your love. Following you out of a relationship. Knowing you, really knowing you. Not playing any games, not doing a religious thing. But knowing you, knowing who you are. Having that revelation in my life. Yeah, come on, just for a few more seconds, just talk to him. Just talk to him for a few more seconds, come on. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know, at the end of the Bible, there is that last book written by John, which we call the Revelation. And it was a book with so much stuff that God revealed to him. I mean, we don't understand even 1% of it. So much stuff that God revealed to him. But you know, before John got the revelation of the future, he got the revelation of the love of Jesus. Sometimes we want those big things from God before we actually go after the foundational stuff. Revelation of the love of Jesus. And tonight, I I just want to throw a few questions here into the audience. Number one is, you may be in the house and you've heard about Jesus, but you haven't really surrendered your life to Him. You haven't become a follower. You haven't. You have not yet made Jesus your Savior, <laughs> someone whom, someone in whom you believe and you trust and. Some of you invited into your life. And tonight may be your night. You maybe you are in this place and you you actually feel him kind of knocking on your heart and saying, Hey, this is your night. And there is a there's two things that are important that I say Sunday after Sunday. The first one is what we call repent, meaning you ask him to forgive you of your sins. He already died for them. He already paid for them. And He's ready and willing to forgive you of your sins. And the second thing is belief. In other words, put your trust, put your faith into Him. Put your faith into what hid it on the cross way back. And when you do that, a miracle of transformation happens. Something new starts, and it's called relationship with God. And there may be somebody in the house tonight who, uh, who would say, Pastor Mirror, this is me, and I would love to pray for you at this moment. So wherever you are in the room, if, if this is you, if you're like, Yes, I want this connection with Jesus. I want to be His follower. Or maybe you have gone astray, and you're like, I want to come back to Jesus tonight all over this place if if this is you I, I want to invite you to raise your hands to him and I would love to pray for you tonight. come on all over the room yes. He sees you, he sees you, he sees your heart. this is just between you and him. come on. come on, reconnect tonight. come back tonight. come back tonight. come back tonight. Gonna lead us all in prayer right now. Let's say this together, dear Jesus.